Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast as we enter into this Easter season. And at Urban Village, we are starting a new sermon series that we are calling We Are Family. And I'll talk about that I'll talk about that more in a moment. But first, let me read the passage that I'll be focusing on today. It comes from the book of Genesis. And I'm going to read starting chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. So hear these words. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready, quickly, three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, There, in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, oh yes, you did laugh. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of God's word. So I mentioned a moment ago that this new sermon series is called We Are Family. And I wonder, when you hear the word family, what are things that first pop into your mind? And I would imagine for at least some, if not most of you, you think of nuclear families. And so I, in fact, I went on an internet search this week and typed in family, just curious what images would pop up. Sure enough, I'm going to show this on Sunday at worship. Um, Lots of uh, man, woman, two kids, all smiling, uh, all very good looking. Uh, So when we think family, that is one of the first things perhaps that we that comes to mind. But as we explore family in this sermon series, I think we have to remember there is not one form of the quote-unquote perfect family, but instead uh, we're going to talk about and reflect on the way that God celebrates the many formings of family and community and how they're committed to each other. We're going to be taking a particular look at Sarah and Abraham. They were far from a perfect family. As we read in today's passage, they were mature in age, getting ready to raise a child. And so they were promised by God's covenant earlier in Genesis, that they would experience generations of children. Abraham and Sarah doubt their ability and God's possibility to form a community of familiar relations. So family life, living in committed community is hard while also being wonderful. So we will follow the story of this great family through Genesis and study the particular difficulties and joys of life and commitment to one another with the families that we're born into and also the families that we create. 
Before we do that, though, let's take a quick look at what families really mean in the scriptures when they talk about family. So family in the Older Testament, usually, this is, I'm speaking in broad terms here, will we're talked about or discussed usually in three ways. One is nuclear family, the smallest family unit, so the parents and unmarried children. And in this family, the authority in the Old Testament belonged to the father who had legal control over the children and wife. But power was not always absolute. So there's also extended family. These are two or more nuclear families that claimed descent from one ancestor. Sometimes they lived together in adjoining houses, but it wasn't common. They acted as, a, as an entity of sorts, and they were granted certain legal rights in order to maintain their solidarity. So there's nuclear and extended families, also what could be called a clan or a tribe. These are several extended families, sometimes linked together to form a, a clan, so traced genealogies to a single ancestor. There has been the explosion in recent years of things like 23andMe and Ancestry.com, in fact, I was reading one article this week that genealogy is the second most popular pastime in our country next to gardening. People are always curious about how are they related to somebody or to somebody else and find it fascinating to see all the different stories of how that is all connected, often by, by blood or genetics. So in the Older Testament, this is usually when they talked about family, there is some sort of blood relation at some point leading to one or two or several ancestors. And in some ways that was true in the New Testament too, but as Jesus often did, Jesus kind of fussed with things because he says that family loyalty, he says in the gospels, family loyalty is subordinate to loyalty to the gospel. Now he also talked approvingly about the command to honor parents and the early church one's family was often seen as a virtue But the traditional view of family was transformed by seeing the Christian family as a new family. So in Galatians 6.10, it says, So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. So there's a shift a little bit from the Old to the New Testament. And so family is not used as a name or as a metaphor, as uh, as a describing word or grouping not just as we're related to blood, Ancestry.com doesn't play as much of a role in talking about what family is. There's a phrase that we've used in recent years called chosen family, and that the New Testament talks more about chosen family, and we'll talk about that later in the series. But let's get back to Sarah and Abraham for a moment, as we, again, just did a quick look at what family meant, particularly in, in the Bible. So Abraham, which you may know as a connection to three of the world's major faiths, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, he's first introduced to us in Genesis 12, known as Abram. And at this point in the scriptures, he's 75 years old. So Genesis 12, 1 and 12, this gets to some of the promises that God makes to Abraham. This passage says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. So promises are already being made as soon as Abram is introduced to us in the scriptures. However, he and his wife Sarai, that's how she's first introduced to us, were unable to conceive. And in Chapter 15, verse 3, Abraham says to God, You have given me no offspring, 
But God again makes a covenant, a promise, saying, look toward heaven, count the stars, so shall your descendants be. And Abraham maybe isn't quite sure what to make of this. Abraham does have a son with Hagar, who is Sarah's slave, but becomes Abraham's wife. She is later the mother of Ishmael. You may know Ishmael. Later, uh, in chapter 17, God makes another promise, saying that Abraham and Sarah will have a son. Now, in the passage that we read today, in verse or in chapter 18, uh, Sarah sometimes get a ba- gets a bad rap because she laughs at this promise. But Abraham also laughed. God makes this promise, and Abraham not only laughs, but falls on the ground laughing, which is even more, of an, perhaps an insult to God. So, Sarah is not alone in her doubting of God's promises to them. But we begin to see a family here of just Abraham and Sarah. Now, a focus of this passage certainly is not only on the promise that God makes or the that God makes to Sarah and to Abraham, but hospitality is a key component of this passage, which I'll talk about in a moment. But before I get to that, just begin to look at, here we have a family. We have Abraham and Sarah, and we have the makings of the kinds of families maybe that you and I know. This is not going on Google and typing in family and looking at the first images at perfect families with their heads back in laughter because their child has said something so funny and endearing. This is not the perfect family. They are struggling. Abraham and Sarah are. They're struggling with promises that they felt were not kept. They're struggling with old age. They're struggling with doubt, both Abraham and Sarah. They're dealing with the realities of marriage together, including lack of sexual pleasure Sarah notes, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure? So they're dealing with all of the things that families deal with, including couples too. But there is beauty here in this family too. There is laughter. We may wonder about the source of this laughter, but still it's there. There is a faithfulness that we can maybe read between the lines. Sarah and Abraham have stayed together through the years, and we begin to see hints of hospitality, not necessarily of Abraham to Sarah, but we see hospitality lived out in the way that Abraham offers to the God who appears to Abraham in the guise of these three men. So often when in the scriptures, when we talk about hospitality, it's often that hospitality or welcome given to strangers. There's an emphasis, and we see that throughout the scriptures, an emphasis of hospitality, a welcome offered to strangers. A really great book by Christine Pohl called Making Room, and she talks about hospitality as involving some space into which people are welcomed, a place where unless invitation is giving, a stranger would not feel free to enter. So, hospitality, by definition, involves welcoming people into some kind of space. So, again, the emphasis often in scriptures is offering this kind of welcome to people that you don't know, to strangers. And that is a a wonderful emphasis that we should and could make in our own lives. But in reading through this scripture and thinking about this emphasis on family that we'll be uh, making over the next few weeks, I wonder You know, in the church and I have preached sermons about offering hospitality to strangers, people that we don't know. But I 
don't know if we think about, is it possible also to offer hospitality to the people that we live with? To offer welcome, to offer grace, to offer kindness, all of the things that we think of when we think of hospitality. Do we offer hospitality to the people that we know the best? I don't know. We, we don't quite see in the scriptures. Maybe we could peer and read between the lines the ways that Abraham and Sarah offered hospitality to one another. But I think perhaps as we think about family, however our families are created, however they are made up, we need to also think about how can we offer hospitality, love, grace, welcome to the people in our own families, the people that we know the best. And sometimes that's one of the most challenging things is to offer that kind of hospitality to the people that we know the best because we're used to them. Grudges have perhaps been built up over the years, and it makes it particularly hard. Some people might say, you know, it's easy to offer hospitality to a stranger because I don't have to live with them. But instead, perhaps one of the things as we begin this sermon series on family is to reflect on how we can offer hospitality, not just to strangers, but to our loved ones too. My uh, wife is one of four children, her oldest brother Uh, Judd and his wife, uh, Elizabeth, have a large family. They have seven uh, biological children, and then they've adopted five children from uh, overseas over the years. And as I was reflecting on uh, what does it mean for a family to offer hospitality to someone who is new to uh, this family, whenever uh, my uh, brother and sister-in-law would uh, welcome or, or after they've gone overseas to adopt a child and bring them back to the Chicago area, and I'd wondered if their family would have some sort of reception for them or if they did anything out of the ordinary to welcome them, uh, these new members of the family, into this existing family. And one of the things that Elizabeth, my sister-in-law, uh, talked about, which is really helpful for me and I think a, a really insightful way of describing hospitality, is that for, for them, when they've adopted internationally, there is no one set way of how that first meeting is going to go. Sometimes there is great joy. Sometimes there is anger. Sometimes there is bewilderment. Sometimes there is sadness. All of this is understandable. And so whenever uh, my brother and sister-in-law come back to the Chicago area and they have this new member of the family bringing them back into this existing family, I had envisioned that maybe they put out, you know, make a big, throw a big party or do some sort of ritual of some kind, when actually there needs to be more care taken because A, they're all suffering from jet lag. Uh, My in-laws have adopted from China and Vietnam. And so there's jet lag whenever they're bringing this new member into the family, but also the emotions are pretty raw. And so you don't exactly know how this new person is going to be welcomed into the family and vice versa too. And so Elizabeth did a really wonderful job of defining hospitality for me. She said, hospitality is allowing everyone to feel their emotions without any expectations as to how they should feel. A welcome ceremony for a child who doesn't want to be in the family in the first place isn't truly a welcome. And that, I think, does a really wonderful job of naming and understanding and being sensitive to what hospitality 
is. And so we can name and think about what hospitality is and thinking about, well, we can offer certain things. And maybe you think, well, I can do something nice for the other person. But maybe the first step of hospitality within your family is just trying to get a sense and listening is, what is it that they really need? It might not be the grand gesture that you have in mind. Instead, it might be something else. And so maybe true hospitality is, is, is listening and, and sensing what the person's need is in that moment and then doing your best to offer that. And that's been helpful for me too as I think about, as I've reflected on these sermons that will be forthcoming in my own family growing up. And I grew up in that nuclear family. I have a brother and my parents. After I graduated from college, my parents went through a divorce. And so no matter how old you are, certainly there is um, a loss, a sense of loss and some sadness too. And so readjusting to what the new normal will be like. My, both my parents have remarried, and that always is a bit of an adjustment when you are uh, being introduced and trying to see your parent with somebody else, and so having a step-parent then. So I did my own reflection and had my own process of trying my best to, to be welcoming, and I'm sure I maybe wasn't always as much as I could have been. But then not only that, but my stepmother and stepfather also had their own children, and so that too was a challenge to now have step siblings. And I was in my 20s. And so part of me was like, I don't know if I really want to deal with this. And so several years ago, my mom, uh, we were spending Thanksgiving with my mom. And she had been married to my stepfather for several years. And so we were gathering together for Thanksgiving. So whenever you have Thanksgiving, of course, whenever I think most people think about the Norman Rockwell painting with Uh, the grandparents there serving the turkey and all of the aunts and uncles and cousins. And this was uh, not quite the Norman Rockwell painting. There was uh, my stepfather and my mom. Uh, There was also my stepfather's ex-wife was there too. My my stepfather and his ex-wife got along fine, as did my mom and, and, and her, so she was there. And so then there was the next generation of folks. There was the uh, my stepfather's uh, daughter and her boyfriend were there, uh, and the boyfriend's two children were part of the mix. There was my stepbrother and stepsister, children of my stepfather and his ex-wife who was there. There was my stepbrother's wife and their two kids. They were there too. There was my brother and his fiance, and then there was, oh yeah, me and my wife and my kids. So when I learned like who is all going to be at this Thanksgiving table, I thought to myself, this is not the Norman Rockwell painting. And so I confessed to being a little bit resistant and not very open and not feeling particularly hospitable to what was about to transpire. But then an amazing thing happened and that it all worked out just fine. We had good conversations. There was laughter, turkey was eaten. But not only that, I think over the years, even though as I note and have noted that I've been resistant at times to build any kind of relationships with this new family of mine, despite that, God is still working in the midst of building up this family. Just two months ago, uh, my stepsister uh, sent a message to me, as some of you know who were following me on Facebook back in February with all of the conflict that's going on in the United Methodist Church and the argument and d- discussion and dissension uh, 
uh, about how the denomination is going to be welcoming or not of our LGBTQ friends. And it's been a hard thing for all of us. And so I've I've written about this a number of times, and I went to this big gathering in February for the United Methodist Church. And so coming back from that and being profoundly disappointed and and angry at, at what has been taking place in our denomination, my stepsister, one of the people there at that Thanksgiving many years ago, she wrote a note to me on Facebook. And I really can't remember. We've had pleasant conversations, you know, from time to time over the years, but I can't remember anyway, any times that we've had long conversations, but she just sent me a note out of nowhere. And I asked her if I could read this to you. And she said, your mission and your words make my heart happy. I just wanted you to know that. I pulled myself away from religion over the last several years because of all the views that conflict with my heart, but you actually make me feel hopeful about it again. I don't even know if this makes any sense, but it does in my mind. Thank you for everything you do, and I'm proud that you are an extended part of my family. And I was so moved by that sentiment. And it made me a little bit um, filled with regret over the years, perhaps in the times that I have been resistant, perhaps, to defining family only in very narrow ways. And in a way, she offered hospitality to me. I think she sensed perhaps that just a simple word of encouragement was something that I needed at that time. And it came from an unexpected place. It came, as she noted, from a member of my family. When I think of family today, my first thought is just of my own, my wife and my two children, and then maybe my mom and dad and and brother too, and other cousins and aunts and uncles. But my family is much bigger than that. My family includes individuals who have come into my life through marriage, but it even is extended beyond that too. And these families, both biological and that come about through marriage and family that I have chosen over the years, especially those with whom I'm in a community of faith, we all go through the same things. We go through struggle. We go through impatience. And at times, perhaps we are get tired of of one another, and yet what a grace it is when we can also offer hospitality to one another in unexpected ways to sense and give space to one another, but also to reach out in times when you maybe are least expecting it. And that has been a real gift to me, and I hope it's been a gift to you. And so I would say to you and think about in this passage that we see today, Abraham goes, bends over backwards to offer hospitality to these strangers. So I'd invite us to, and Sarah too, and for Abraham and Sarah in the way they offered hospitality in this passage, this family that uh, is here in this passage, how can we not only offer hospitality to strangers, but how can we do it to our family members, those that we're related to and those that we have chosen? How can we offer grace? How can we offer encouragement? How can we offer space so that the other truly feels welcome? And that can be a challenge, but I think this is the lesson that we read from the scriptures too. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening, uh, as always, to this podcast. I am not going to be here next week, uh, but instead I would encourage you to go to our Podbean page and listen to some of our other preachers if you're not already doing that. Uh, including our student pastor at the South Loop site. Um, And then I'll be back in two weeks. And so until then, uh, may the peace of Christ be with you.
thou my wisdom and thou my 